0: Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary.
1: Are you ready to enhance your future
0: in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. It was like, you know, you're sitting next to somebody And he's just sending out messages about drug deals Ordering murders, extortion, all these kinds of heavy crimes You know, they send messages like, you know I sent to my my partner uh, when she's in the grocery store And I want her to bring something home But then not about, you know, please honey, bring the tomatoes But uh, maybe we should kill that guy
1: I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld, in Ireland and across the globe. It's the Netherlands' trial of the century, with the infamous underworld boss Ridwin Taji in the dock, along with 16 of his men, who face accusations relating to six gangland murders. In a courtroom known as The Bunker, The most dangerous figures in Dutch organised crime are putting up a tough defence, while Taji's former business partners in Irish, Italian and Bosnian mafias look on from a safe distance. But now that state witness Nabil B has stopped talking, what is going to happen to the Marengo trial? And is there a possibility that the Macro Mafia could walk free? today I'm joined by my colleague Jan Mayes, crime correspondent for NRC in Amsterdam, who says that decisions made in the recent conviction of the underworld boss Rico the Chilean will weigh heavy for Taji. He tells me about the murders and intrigue that make up the case, about the main players fighting for their freedom, and how the wedding of mafia boss Daniel Kinahan coupled with encrypted phone messages discovered in Canada, may seal their fate. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. I was reading with some sort of shock, really, to be honest with you, that Nabil B, the... uh, the prime witness in the Marengo trial has stopped talking. Um, So just remind us who he is and what is the Marengo trial?
0: Uh, The Marengo trial is uh, the biggest court case in the Netherlands uh, ever, historically. And the main suspect is uh, a guy we have spoken before about. His name is Erid van He's a Moroccan Dutch national who is suspected of uh, no, suspect. He's prosecuted for six underworld killings, ordering them at least, and then a number of uh, efforts to do so, or uh, you know, failed efforts to do so. And he's the main suspect in a group of, in total, seventeen. And really, um, the investigation started running when uh, Nabil uh handed himself oh, basically walked into a police uh, station early 2017 saying that he was in uh, his life was threatened and that he was uh, wanted uh, wanted to talk to the police about these underworld killings. And uh, the story behind that that he was uh, involved in organizing a couple of them. And in January 2017, they killed the wrong uh, person. So they, they made a mistake uh, while shooting. I don't know if you have that in Ireland uh, a lot, but over here it seems to be happened a lot in the past few years. And um, the issue was that the person who got mistakenly killed was... Uh, no, uh, a member of a known uh, Moroccan-Dutch crime family in and around Utrecht. And he had known him personally and he knew the family also very well. And they found out that he was involved in organizing the killing because he had uh, uh, sold a car that uh, the shooters uh, were going to use after they uh, done their dirty work. And uh, the family found out and they came to him and they wanted to know who was behind him. Behind who ordered the killing and then he was caught in between a a big well-known Dutch crime family and his uh, underworld uh, figure Riedemann Tachy who was behind this killing and uh, eventually in a couple of days he analyzed um, it's either I die or I talk and then he decided to talk. So that was really the beginning of what we now know as the Marengo trial, was his his statements uh, between January and May of 2017. And then later on, uh, uh, the police uh, captured this huge amount of PGP uh, information uh, through uh, two servers in Canada and Costa Rica, and uh, it turned out that was Yeah, basically uh, one of the first big uh, uh, crypto communication catches that the Dutch law enforcement did. And in that huge amount of uh, messages, there was a lot of evidence supporting the statements of Nabil and uh, in the end leading to hard evidence against uh, Taji and his uh, crew. So when he first gave those statements, um,
1: Taji was... Uh, on the run I think wasn't he and he, he was later arrested in, in December of 2019 in Dubai. I, I think we know that during 2017 Taji attended the wedding of Daniel Kinahan who was also in Dubai now not strictly on the run but he had moved out of Spain and moved his operation out there to to remain one step ahead of the law um, and when he got married in the Burj Al Arab Hotel um in Dubai, Tahi attended and also another man known as El Rico. I'll let you do the full pronunciation of his full name. It's a bit complex. Um, so they're all friends and they were all working together as a, a super cartel, essentially.
0: Uh, that's what police assume. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating because uh, the, 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 the manhunt for Tahi did not really start until early 18. So that that big party uh, in in Dubai uh, was like half a year earlier. And it was really at that time, at really that summer of 2017, that they started to get a grasp of this new super trio in the Dutch underworld. And so you had Riedel van you had Rico... uh, Enrique uh, Kellme, as he's fully named, and we call him Rico de Chilean. Rico from Chile. He, he's a political. Uh, he's he's the, the the child of political refugees for the regime of Pinochet. Uh, was born in in Chile. Uh, grew up here, and is uh, has dual nationality. And uh, he was convicted earlier for cocaine smuggling uh, in Germany. And then there's like their third hand is a guy who was arrested in Ireland is uh, now falfasi and uh they were they were slowly becoming you know the new face of the underworld in the netherlands the the, the three guys and um their that investigation into uh or not not the investigation had been going on for uh uh, quite some time, but the, the the hard evidence, I told you about, you know, all those PGP uh, messages that they found, the hard evidence started popping up in the summer of uh, 2017. And that's when they realized that there was really... Um, like a layered criminal organization. So these three guys, they all had their own um, business, their own uh, drug lines, but they also worked together. Uh, So they had their own criminal organization and together they're considered um, a Dutch uh, national criminal organization. And then on top of that, it turned out that some of these guys were working together with maybe at the Kinehans because Nafal Fassi was, was arrested in a house that was later on attributed to um, the Kinahans. But uh, for instance, Rico was working with um, a known Italian mobster from the Camorra. Uh, his name is Raffaele Imperialis. And uh, he lived in the Netherlands in the 90s for a while and later on became well known because he had like two famous Van Gogh paintings uh, in his house when, uh, when they raided it. And uh, these guys were working on like a, a supranational level uh, and their organizations basically teamed up in uh, the world of cocaine smuggling, but also in um, underworld killings.
1: It seemed to be a simple business plan, the cocaine smuggling. They would pool their resources, buy bigger shiploads and be able to cut out individual logistic charges to bring the cocaine into Europe Um The timing of it is very significant, really, all around that 2017 and after activities in 2016. Presumably, the Dutch police were investigating a series of murders, gangland murders, in Holland. I mean, were they aware of the existence of Taji and Rico or did they really only become aware of their existence when Nabil B. gave information and when they got the the PGP messages.
0: Now, they, they were aware of this this new uh, super trio in the Dutch underworld, uh, let's say summer of 2016. But being aware and, you know, uh, starting investigating is something else than finding evidence with which you can prosecute them. And the evidence, the first step was Nabil, and the second step was that pgp communication that they they caught in in uh, between 2016 and 2017 and and the thing is now we consider you know uh, hacking crypt- crypto communication as you know the next the next normal thing but back then it was a huge first leap because they initially found 3.6 million messages on a server of a dutch company called enetcom and uh, the server was uh, uh, located in Canada. and then they when they found it, they confiscated it, then they had to get it to the Netherlands. And when they got it, they had to figure out, can we decrypt these messages? And when that uh, when that happened, when they they, they they worked that out, they found, yeah, It was like, you know, you're sitting next to somebody uh, who's in an underworld meeting and he's just sending out messages about um, uh, drug deals, uh, uh, gangland uh, ordering uh, murders, uh, extortion, extortion, all these kinds of heavy crimes. And they speak about. They speak about it like, you know, they send messages like, you know, I send to my, my, my partner uh, when she's in the grocery store and I want her to bring something home. You know, it's like this every day apping, but then not about, you know, please, honey, bring the tomatoes. But uh, uh, maybe we should kill that guy uh, because, you know, he's an, he's an annoyance. Uh, and that was when they saw that, they realized that they had a trove of information. But they also came to realize uh, how violent this world really is and and how easy it is to to do these things. And they started to see the the relationships better. So, you know, like, you you know, if you go back to that wedding in 2017 in Dubai, of course, you see them together there. But what does that mean? That means that they know each other, that they're some, somewhat friendly with each other. But then if you start to see the messaging in between them, you know, that you can really hear how and what they communicate amongst each other, then you get a much clearer picture of what kind of uh, uh, dealings they're in and how that actually works. So you know the, the notion of becoming the fly on the wall in the underworld that i think it started there it's maybe it's it's like you know when they first uh, managed to phone to phone, to wiretap uh, mobile phones i think it was that same eureka moment uh and that was here and uh yeah and and from there uh it, they they started a huge investigation into marengo uh, Tachi and into rico a separate investigation and yeah now we're slowly seeing uh, the results of that now just before
1: we we move on to what's happened in the trial, two things that concern me there. Firstly, the DEA documents that were leaked, which suggested this super cartel existed between Kinnahan, um, Raphael, Imperial, and and the Dutch trio. Um, so they. Those documents suggest they had moved something like 30 billion euro worth of cocaine into Europe. And it just seems quite extraordinary that they could have done that while flying under the radar for so long. Or that, you know, they weren't seen as as significant as they were. 30 mi- billion euro worth of cocaine is just an extraordinary amount of money. And it just really shows how people can make that kind of money in the drug trade in in a very short period of time and blink of an eye they are billionaires um the the other thing there that you mentioned that I was I was thinking of was you know when we say back then and we're only talking about 2017 you know when it comes to the the collecting of these messages and all that has happened between including up to this week for me that's another sign of just how quickly things move and change in the underworld in gangland I don't know whether the real world whether the the world that operates with law enforcement can ever keep up with it
0: that's a good question although they seem to be uh, having a, a a pretty good run right now but I think you know it, to just comment on, on your two observations I think um, mobile phones if you I mean My first iPhone, I got about 10 years ago or something like that. And uh, I think police and, and other authorities never realized that this revolution that we had in our hands was also in the hands of criminals. So if you look at the ease with which they... Were able to to uh, import these huge amounts of cocaine. Whether that number is correct or not, I, it's hard for us to say. I, I, I think, but um, that it that it has been huge. I think that's also uh, uh, um, we can assume that that's true. Um, but the, they were at one point they were able to just order these all these shipments and do all the logistical work behind. This uh, uh, trafficking, um, you know, like we uh, order pizza with our phone, mm-hmm. and 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 that just uh, it started together with you know uh, a number of developments in Colombia and 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 other geo uh, geopolitical uh, issues, but it started this revolution. And if I look at you know the amount of cocaine that has been uh, intercepted in the harbors of of Rotterdam and Antwerp you can see that, you know, it's sort of like a baseline until 14, 15. And then all of a sudden, it looks like, you know, uh, the spread of COVID last year, uh, when we first went into lockdown, it's like this peak graph. Uh, and um, I think that, that you know, the, the, the use of modern technology uh, enabled them to do it. And it took, the police a while to figure out these encrypted uh, communication systems and to find, you know, to get their, to get their finger behind it, as we say in Dutch, I, I'm afraid it's not a proper English expression, but <laughs> to, okay. to figure this out, you know, to, to, to understand what was really going on. And I've, I've spoke in the Netherlands, I've spoken to many law for uh, law enforcement uh, uh, pe- people in law enforcement and for them, the, the first realization was that things had really changed came in 2013. And I think uh, I, I remember speaking to somebody last year when the AnchorChat hack happened. And these are people that, you know, have, have tens, sometimes 20 years of experience in, in gangland investigations, murders, the top guys. And they're all in awe about the amount of drugs that they were seeing. So, yeah, there's eight years between that first realization of, geez, cocaine is getting really big in the Netherlands. We're becoming the the, sort of the distribution, one of the distribution centers in Western Europe. And then it kept going. And and again, you know, with ANOM this week, again, you see they found in, in the south of this country they found a, a drugs lab and it had a tank, you know, the, the, the chemical uh, 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 equipment and it's 6,000 liters. And the biggest tank they found before was one of 1,500 liters. So you can put in 6,000 liters of chemicals. Uh, I don't know how many kilos of, of amphetamines or ecstasy or amphetamines you can make with this, but it's huge. And it just goes to show that even though they're, you know, they're uh, at the the, the speed of which the underworld is working now, I I guess law enforcement has picked up on that speed. But still, they, I mean, they do big investments for, you know, to buy this kind of equipment. And it shows you how, how still, how fast paced this this business is nowadays.
1: For sure. Now, moving on to start maybe with, El Rico. I've been trying to follow as much as I can um, the these cases. He, his case has his trial has finished. He's been found guilty of operating an an assassin ring and laundering money. Now, evidence messages that were used in his trial and which were used to help convict him came from these PGP phones, these PGP messages, and he's got eleven years. In jail for for that 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 seems quite little, but you know maybe they you actually maybe your your uh, your prisoners actually serve the time they're given um, in the Netherlands here it would they do about half of it so, um, but that that trial has finished the significance of that trial and the conviction there is going to lean into the Marengo trial where you have Taji um, because because the same evidence, the same, the same PGP messages presumably are going to be used. But we started with my concern about Nabil B. having stopped talking. Um, is that still the case? Has that been sorted out or what's going on there?
0: Um, well, maybe it's, it's good before I answer your question about Nabil uh, to speak briefly about Rico. Because yeah. I understand that there is a question, geez, if you're the leader of a murder ring, you get away with eleven years. Why? Um, and um, that's a complicated issue. Rico was arrested in Chile, and he was extradited to the Netherlands uh, for money laundering and involve- and, and uh, involvement in a in a in a, uh, a, a drugs organization. But he was not extradited for being involved with underworld gangla- gangland uh, killings. Um, so that means if you're not extradited for something, you cannot be prosecuted for that same fact. And this was all, you know, the, the extradition uh, trial in, in Chile uh, happened when they were discovering these messages. So it was all late two, 2017. Um, what then the, the prosecutors here did was, okay, uh, we got him extradited for being the leader of criminal organization. Can we add murder to that as, a, as, a, as an aim of that organization. And the judge allowed that, so that happened. What that means is that they have established that he was the leader of, a, of an organization with the intent to murder, but they have not established his factual involvement in specific killings. So he's convicted for being the leader of that group but not for his his presumed involvement with specific killings, and that leads in the end to a lot, uh, yeah, a sentence that is a lot lower than you would expect. And the question now is: uh, Will uh, the Dutch prosecutorial office uh, will they succeed in uh, convincing the, Ch- the authorities in Chile to also extradite him so that they can prosecute him for these actual killings? If that is the case, then there might be a second trial, and they're then they're going to get him convicted for for being involved with actual specific murders uh, but that's why you know because there is no possibility not enough proof for that right now that they that they yeah, that the sentence uh, turned out to be so low on the other hand, what the the judge also ruled in that conviction was that there's a clear um, uh, cooperation with uh, Tachi and that uh the you know in these pgp communications they use nicknames uh, so they have to establish you know is this nickname really Rico or is this that nickname really Tachi? uh the judge ruled that that is the case they found it convincing uh and a an convincing argument that the da's made so that was established uh which is uh, quite significant in the in for the case of Tachi himself, and they also established uh, that a number of murders in which Tachi is involved, that um, the communication uh, in those PGP uh, the, the the facts in those PGP uh, uh, messages that they are really that they can be connected to. Um, the actual murders and, and all kinds of details surrounding those murders. So they ruled, this is proof, and uh, we can convict somebody on this basis. Which basically means, in my humble opinion, I'm only a journalist, not a lawyer, but that the case of Tahi is almost slam shut. Because uh, there is a huge amount of PHP messages, and... Um, the identification, as the judge ruled, is solid. There is all kinds of surrounding evidence that, that shows that these messaging that, that messaging is not, that they're not talking out loud about doing something, but they didn't do it. The judge ruled, it's not just talk, it's also action. So that means uh, that the case of Tachi. Is, uh is gonna be a hard a hard uh, that's going it's gonna be very difficult to get out of it. Now back to uh, Nabil uh, uh, this Friday so we're talking the 12th of uh, June. there is the, f- the first court session when they uh, will discuss a case that the crown witness is not just a witness, but he is also uh, a defendant. He is accused of being involved in this murder. And this is, of course, so this is what we call a deal, a deal um, uh, fact. So he has made a deal. So I tell everything I know about all these gangland killings, also about myself. So he he basically told his involvement. And then in uh, exchange for that confession, I get a lower sentence. So this is one of the confessions that he did about his own involvement as well. So this Friday he has to show up in court and then it's, yeah, uh, there's going to have to be some sort of decision. Will he uh, start talking again and and, and act as a, as a as the key witness in this case? Or will he say, listen, I'm still not happy with all kinds of issues around the safety of me and my, my, my family and um, I'm not going to cooperate with, uh, with the prosecutors anymore. And if he does that, then there is a chance that the prosecutors say, okay, if you don't, you have to answer these questions uh, from the judges, from the, 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 the defendants, their lawyers. And if you don't want to answer those questions, then the deal is off. And then it means that uh, instead of 12 years, he's, he's, they, will, they will appeal to the judge to, to, uh, uh, to sentence him to 12 years. Uh, then the deal is off. And that means that he runs the risk of being convicted for 24 years. And because of this ruling in the Rico case, it's clear that to get Tahi convicted, they don't need Nabil anymore. So he's really, he was in a tight spot when he became a Crown witness. And again, he's in a tight spot now. He's a bit goose,
1: Jan, is he? Because he's, you know, there is no way back when you've already given these statements and you've become a Crown prosecution witness. There's no way back when it comes to the underworld. He is a marked man now, whether or not he stops talking. Or he starts again.
0: Yeah. So, but but so he uh, he has some important decisions to make. And um, the thing is, so suppose he stops, that doesn't mean that uh, he won't get any protection anymore because uh, our government has made this deal. They they uh, yeah they exposed him for for what he did. So they have a responsibility in in keeping him safe. Uh, and and with him also his, his his own family and his brothers and sisters and, and, and everybody else. but uh, so there will be a degree of protection always because that's that, yeah that's just that's a, a responsibility that the government cannot stop uh, but on the other hand yeah it's, it's he's in a tight spot and on, and on the one hand you feel for him because he lost his brother, he lost his lawyer uh, and on the other hand, yeah, he's also involved in three murders. So do you have to feel pity for him or do you have to feel sorry for him or do you have to think, yeah, geez, guy, you made your own decisions. You got to live with the outcome. It's. I find it difficult. I, I, I have to say I find it difficult. And uh, uh, on the other hand, it's going to be a fascinating day on Friday because uh, yeah, we we'll, we're going to be there, and we're going to see it live. what you know which which turn, which which corner does he turn? Does he go, you know, stay with his deal and start talking again, or does he just give up and um, take the twenty four years? It's up to him. I'd say there is a man who's going to have a few sleepless
1: nights between between now and then, um as he makes up his mind. Um, it's 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 absolutely fascinating stuff. I'm sure it's like for, from a crime journalist point of view, you're watching history play out in, in in a way when it comes to all this stuff. But Jan, thank you very much. We might come back to you now to see does he does he start talking or does he remain zipped? <laughs> Thanks a million. All right. From SundayWorld.com.